Let me begin by reading a story captured as a poem. A woman was waiting at an airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport shop, bought a bag of cookies, and found a place to drop. She was engrossed in her book but happened to see that the man beside her, as bold as could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag between, which she tried to ignore to avoid a scene. She read Munch Cookies and watched the clock as the gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking, if I wasn't so nice, I'd blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, with each cookie she took, he took one too. When only one was left, she wondered what he'd do. With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half. He offered her half as he ate the other. She snatched it from him and thought, oh brother. This guy has some nerve and he's also rude. Why, he didn't even show any gratitude. She had never known when she'd been so galled and sighed with relief when her flight was called. She gathered her belongings and headed for the gate, refused to look back at the thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane and sank in her seat, then sought her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her baggage, she gasped with surprise. There was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. If mine are here, she moaned with despair, then the others were his, and he tried to share. Too late to apologize, she realized with grief that she was the rude one, the ingrate, the thief. So the woman not only misjudged the man, but herself. She was the guilty one, not him. Well, this is a humorous little story but it conveys an important point. It is vital to judge people and situations fairly and accurately. If not, all kinds of problems can arise in our relationships, are damaged, and our credibility as Christians is weakened. So as we continue our series on the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus today discusses proper judgment in our relationships, proper judgment in our relationships. He's going to discuss three situations where we must judge rightly our relations with Christians, our relations with hardened non-Christians, and our relation with God. So let me invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 7, as we kind of head down the home stretch, so to speak, in the Sermon on the Mount. Be using one of the Bibles in front of you, page 812. So again, as Jesus talks about proper judgment in our relations, the first relationship that he talks about is our relation with fellow Christians. We get this by looking down at verse 3 when he says, your brother, kind of a generic use of that word, speaking of both males and females. So in verses 1 and 2, Jesus says... Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So the passage begins with perhaps America's most famous verse about not judging. In our culture, this verse has become sort of 
you know, the, the national verse, so to speak, and it basically means that you have no right to ever say that anyone is wrong about anything, even if it is clearly condemned in Scripture. Well, let's see what Jesus actually means when he says that we should not judge. Well, to start with, it's important to remember here that the word there, judge, uh, can mean judge in the sense of condemnation, but it also includes a wide range of meanings, such as evaluation, discernment, and making choices, and so forth, okay? And I think that is the sense in which Jesus, it, Jesus uses it here in this passage. Moreover, Jesus, as we're going to see, does not categorically forbid judgment and this sort of assessment and evaluation type of sense. He will go, for example, in verse 6 on to talk about that we shouldn't give to what is, we shouldn't give um, what is holy to dogs. We shouldn't give what is holy to dogs. Now, he's not talking about literal dogs. We'll talk about in a moment what he is referring to. But the bottom line is, is that he is telling his people to be able to make an assessment and evaluation of when someone falls into the category of a dog or not. A little bit more clearer than that even more is verse 15. Jesus goes on to talk about how we are to discern when someone is a false prophet or not. So again, as believers, we have to be able to assess people and situations and to determine whether or not someone is a false prophet or not. So Jesus is not prohibiting all judgment. Is that clear? Rather, he is prohibiting unfair judgment where you hold others to a standard that you do not live out yourself. Is that clear? Indeed, that's the point of verse 2. If you are harsh toward others, God will judge you accordingly. And really, this is just reiterating what Jesus has been saying several times in the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember back in chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, he said, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Do you see that? Same kind of principle. Likewise, Jesus emphasized that if we're merciful, then God will be merciful to us. He said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, meaning from God. Right? So it's that kind of uh, judgment, assessment, evaluation that is given unfairly to others where you hold them to a standard that you don't live out yourself, yet you apply it to others. Now, in verses 3 to 4, Jesus gives us an example, maybe going back to his days when he was younger as a carpenter. These are very famous verses. He says in verses 3 and 4, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. Now, as we've seen, Jesus likes to use hyperbole, and he's obviously using hyperbole here in this case, where he envisions someone who has a log hanging out of their eye, yet they do not even notice it, but they do notice a speck in their brother's eye. Now, a speck would refer to some kind of real small foreign object, like a little splinter or a tiny piece of straw or something. And yet, so they, they, they ignore the speck 
um, they ask the person to take the speck out and they ignore the log in their own eye. They have a log hanging out of their own eye. This would refer, that word log referred to a piece of heavy timber such as they would use in constructing a roof or to bar a door. So this was a large piece of wood hanging out of their eye. What's Jesus getting at with this famous illustration? He's describing someone who corrects another person about a sin in their life that is relatively small. Meanwhile, they have sin in their own life in much greater measure, a log's worth, if you will. So imagine someone who regularly tells lies, going and correcting someone who told one lie, right? Or someone who is very and often disrespectful to their parents, and yet then they correct their friend when they see them do that one time. You see kind of what we're getting at there? So it is wrong to judge another person if you haven't done with your, dealt with your own self first and your own sin first. You are more worried about inspection when you need to start worrying about introspection. Does that make sense? And Jesus tells us indeed what we should do about that in verse 5. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus tells us that we should first assess ourselves, evaluate ourselves, and deal with our own sins. But we all know it's a lot easier to deal with somebody else's sins than ours, right? But that's not what a follower of Christ should do. Now, is that the end of the lesson? Should we ever correct another person? Now, we don't like to hear that in our day and age, but Jesus does say that this is what a follower of Christ should do. After he has dealt with himself, Jesus is not forbidding judgment altogether, but once we have dealt with ourselves and we see a situation that we do feel like we should address, we should do so. Now, we all know that this can be a challenging part of the Christian life, isn't it? And so let me give some practical steps before you have that conversation. Now, we obviously know we're not to do it hypocritically, as Jesus just said. But here, beyond that, here are three elements that I think every Christian should put into their hearts and minds before they have that conversation where they do want to take the speck out of their brother's eye. First, there should be knowledge. What I mean by that is that many times we judge another person and we don't have all the relevant facts, right? We learn something else that would have changed how we view that situation, but we're quick to want to jump in and correct that person. The famous evangelist and founder of Methodism, John Wesley, told of a man he had little respect for because he considered him to be miserly and covetous. One day when this person contributed only a small gift to a worthy charity, Wesley openly criticized him. After the incident, the man came to Wesley privately and spoke with him, told him that he had been living on parsnips and water for several weeks. 
You see, because before his conversion, he had run up many bills. Now, by living very frugally, he was paying off his creditors one by one. He said to Wesley, Christ has made me an honest man. And so with all these debts to pay, I can only give a few offerings above my tithe. I must settle up with my worldly neighbors and show them what the grace of God can do to the heart of a man who was once dishonest. So Wesley apologized to the man and asked for his forgiveness. Personally, I know I have learned the hard way to reserve judgment until I have learned more about the situation. And I have since been thankful times where I was like, wow, I'm so glad I didn't say anything, and I waited a little while and learned more about the situation. We should seek the knowledge we need. Secondly, we should have gentleness. We should correct gently. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So, Don't talk to somebody if you're still angry with them. If you're harboring bitterness and and resentment, don't talk to them, right? Because you're not in the right frame of mind. Moreover, if you talk to somebody and you're angry with them, let me ask you, are they going to receive what you have to say? Not at all. They're not going to receive what you say. So I would highly recommend that you bathe the situation in prayer and make sure that your heart is right before you ever talk to them. So we need knowledge. We need gentleness. I would also say we're shooting for restoration. The aim of this type of conversation is not to put somebody in their place. It's not to win an argument. The goal is restoration. You are hoping to win that person and restore that person back to God and restore them back to other people. You see how that's much different than often what we see in here where you have a knockdown, drag out, shouting match or whatever? That is not what Jesus and his followers are supposed to live out. He is calling us to judge things rightly and to live things rightly. And just as a footnote, our focus has been on the receiving end, or excuse me, the giving end of having a word of correction for others and how we should go about doing it. But let me just mention that if you do happen to be on the receiving end of a word of correction, be humble and teachable. It's very hard. It takes a lot of courage to go and have that kind of conversation with somebody where you do mention and you do have a correction that you're bringing up to somebody. So if somebody has the nerve, I say the nerve, excuse me, check that, the courage to bring it up to you, don't get resentful and angry. Lower your guard and listen to what they have to say. And at the very least, pray about the words that they're saying to you. I would almost guarantee you there is something that you can draw from that conversation. Amen? So, that was Jesus' teaching there about our relations with other Christians, how we are to judge properly. He's not done yet. He's got a second set of relationships that he wants us to do the same. And that is our relation with hardened non-Christians. In verse 6, Jesus says, Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So Jesus gives two examples, but he's really speaking about the same situation He's talking about Christians 
dealing with hardened non-Christians. I don't think Jesus is talking about just non-Christians in general here. I think he's talking about a specific set of non-Christians, those who are really hardened against the message. This isn't a group of people where maybe you try to share and they say, no, I'm just, I'm not interested politely or whatever. These are a group of people who want nothing to do with Christianity. And we'll talk further about how they respond. But let me give a little background to this saying because he's throwing a lot of stuff in there, dogs and pigs and pearls. And what does he mean by all this stuff? Let's start with do not give dogs what is holy. Now, in this day and age, dogs were regarded much different than they are in our culture. They were not spoiled very often like they are in our culture. They often would just kind of roam around the streets and so forth. Not like our day and age where many of our pets are treated very well. I saw a funny meme this past week where the dog was saying, I am not spoiled, my owner is well trained. (laughs) Yes, I know some of you might go home and get your dog's favorite blanket out and snuggle up with them and feed them some treats and all that. Not really the case back in those days, okay? Um, in this day and age, dogs were not spoiled very often, and they, also, and they often could be quite vicious as they roamed around, and if you gave them something to eat, they could turn on you because they wanted more once you gave them something. So when Jesus mentions at the end of the verse, they turn to attack you, he's probably not referring to pigs, but he's talking about dogs. And it's possible that he's referring to the fact that the holy thing that he's speaking of there was the meat that was allotted to the priests and their families from the sacrifices. That meat was regarded as holy. And so the Jews very much tried to protect that meat and made sure that the dogs did not eat the meat. So that's a little bit of background about the dogs and what Jesus was probably trying to get at. As for the pigs... You know, under the Mosaic Covenant, pigs were forbidden to eat, were regarded as unclean. Pearls obviously symbolize something valuable, and I think they were symbolizing the great value of the kingdom of God. Jesus, in fact, in in Matthew 13, tells a parable, doesn't he, about how a man finds a great pearl, sells everything he has just to go have that pearl, and the pearl symbolized the kingdom of God. Now, if you give pearls to a pig the pig might mistake the pearls as food. They will think that it's some type of a pea or an acorn or whatever, and when that pig bites down on that pearl, it's going to get mad because its teeth are going to hurt. It's going to spit out the pearls, and it's going to trample them. You guys are learning quite a bit about these things, aren't you, today? So what is Jesus' point? Well, again, he's not talking about literal pigs and dogs. These words were used as metaphors for wicked, despicable people. So what Jesus is getting at is that when they hear the gospel, they don't just say, I'm not interested, but they mock and ridicule the gospel. And Jesus' point is that we shouldn't allow the gospel just to be trampled on by those who want nothing to do with it. We should move on and speak to others who are more receptive. And again, he's telling us this, the theme throughout this whole section is using a right sense of judgment and evaluation, right? And so if you know someone who is going to just trample the gospel underneath, Jesus is saying not be judgmental but use proper judgment judgment. 
and move on in that situation. To help us understand it better, let's look at a couple biblical examples. If you want to turn over to Matthew chapter 10, here we see an example. Jesus instructs his disciples to go into the, into the cities and towns to preach the gospel, to cast out demons, and to heal the sick. In verses 11 to 14, before they go, Jesus gives them this word of instruction. He says, whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And listen to this. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. And when you leave that, when you leave that house or town. So in other words, if they don't want to hear you or receive you at all, they were, the, the disciples were to move on and go to someone who would listen to them. In Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas were evangelizing in the city of Antioch. And as was their custom, they would go to the Jews and speak to them first in the synagogues. And they initially encountered a lot of interest, but the Jewish leaders became jealous and turned the crowds against them. And it says in verse 46, Paul and Barnabas saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Acts 18 verses 5 and 6 records a similar incident. Same type of thing happened when Paul went to the city of Corinth. Now church, I think we need to keep a couple of things in mind here about Jesus' teaching. Jesus is not talking about sharing the gospel with people in general. Everyone should have an opportunity to hear the gospel. Amen? And if you've not spoken with someone, you should try. Even if you think they may not be interested. There was a poll done by LifeWay Research that was interesting. They interviewed 1,400 people who hadn't been to any type of religious service in the last six months. Mosque, synagogue, uh, church, any type of religious service at all. Very secular people. They were asked that, when they asked them though, 78% of those surveys said they would be willing to listen to someone who wanted to talk about their Christian beliefs. Did you hear that? Almost 80% of people who would identify themselves as secular said, yes, bring it on. I'll be happy to listen to you. So this is not trying to give us an excuse not to share the gospel. Is everybody hearing that? We should give everybody an opportunity, even if you think they might react negatively, because sometimes you don't know how they're going to respond. They might be very positive. We shouldn't just go on outward appearance only. What Jesus is getting at here, though, is that if you've tried to share someone with someone and they just mock and ridicule it, you're probably not helping the situation by continuing to go at them, right? Maybe pray about it and return some other time in the future, but at that moment, let it go and assess the situation properly. Judge properly, pray about them, and maybe one day in the future. All right, one last thing here is our relation with God. Our relation with God. Again, we need to judge rightly when we view God, when we think of God. A.W. Tozer famously said, the most important thing about a person is what they think about God. And so it's important to view God rightly. And Jesus teaches about this here in the context of prayer. He says in verses 7 and 11, through 11, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. 
and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus uses three different words. Did you you get that for prayer, ask, seek, and knock? I don't think he's talking about three different types of prayer or three different phases of prayer. He's just talking about prayer in three different ways, okay? And he wants us, again, to view God properly, to assess him, to see him correctly. And he doesn't want us to see God as distant and uncaring, right? God cares about our needs and will meet them. Jesus just reiterated what he said already in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember in chapter 6, he said, God knows your needs before you even ask him. He said, ask God for your daily bread, right? We're to ask God for our needs. We saw last week how we're not to be anxious about our needs because God knows our needs and all he wants us to do is what? Seek his kingdom and his righteousness and he's going to meet all of our needs. And to prove his point, Jesus notes how human parents, we give good gifts to our children, right? If if a child comes up and they want bread, we don't give them a stone, right? We, We don't do that. If they want a fish, we don't give them a serpent. We're like this, and what does Jesus say about us? He says, you guys are evil. <laughs> Notice he doesn't include himself in that comment. But he says, yeah, you are evil, especially compared to God, we are evil. We have evil within us. We're not per- wholly evil, but we have evil within us. And yet even us, evil as we are, we like to give good gifts to our children. So if God is not evil, how much more will he delight in giving good gifts to his children? We need to see him that way, don't we? That he will meet our needs. He's not distant, uncaring. Now before moving on, I need to talk about the other end of the spectrum. Jesus, I think, was talking about this end of the spectrum, but I think we should just briefly say a a quick word about this end of the spectrum, which sometimes will um, take this passage to mean that Jesus, when he's teaching here, is talking about the fact that God will give us all of our wants and wishes. It doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say he'll do that. It doesn't say he's going to take away all of our problems. But it's tempting to take this passage like this, isn't it? That, you know, I think I've done this in my own life, just to, just to say, you know what, it, this is a burden on my heart, Lord, and it's not a need, but it's something I think I want in my life, or this is going to, I want this to happen, or whatever it is, and you know what, God, you say, keep asking and persisting in this, and I'm just going to wear you down, and you're going to give it to me. That may happen. We know the, the parable of the persistent widow. Jesus tells us to persist in our prayers. But it's not a guarantee, is it, church? But what is a guarantee is that your needs will be met. I think it's important to have the right view of God because otherwise people can be gravely disappointed with God if they bought into a way of thinking of God that he is there basically as your genie who's going to answer all your wants and wishes. 
So it's important, again, that we judge God correctly. We evaluate God. We assess him. We see him properly. Finally, we close in verse 12. Jesus says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Whatever you want other people to do to you, do to them. What's that called? The golden rule, right? Very famous teaching that Jesus gives there. Now, I want you to understand this passage here, this little saying. It's not just kind of a little fortune cookie tacked on here for doesn't fit with the rest of everything. No. It actually is a great way to conclude this whole passage, right? Jesus says, whatever you want from others, do to them yourself. And so if you want others, right, to evaluate you, to judge you accurately and fairly, then do it to them. Does that make sense? If you want others to treat you well, then treat others well. So do you see how it's a great way, actually, to tie up this whole passage? And in fact, Jesus is not just tying up this passage. He's tying up this whole main section here that we've been talking about, really the main point of the Sermon on the Mount, this greater righteousness that he wants his people to live out by fulfilling the Old Testament. Remember what he said back in chapter 5, verse 17? He said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You remember that long time ago? The law of the prophets was just a shorthand way of saying the Old Testament. Jesus said, look, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. And he's explained how he's fulfilled it through these last couple of months here. And he also wants us to live it out. How we are to live out his fulfillment. And now he's coming along, again repeating law and prophets, going back kind of like bookends to this whole section and saying, look, I'm going to break it down for you guys really simply because we're a bunch of knuckleheads, aren't we? We need it simple. If you will just live out the golden rule, you'll actually live out how we are supposed to interact with each other. And if you stop and think about it, he's exactly right. Whatever you want other people to do to you, if you will just do the same to them, it's amazing how things change. Amen? I just, it's marvelous, these words. So succinct, one sentence, but yet so true and so practical. Think about it in your own life. You want other people to help you? Help others. You want other people to pray for you? Pray for others. You want other people to encourage you? Well, encourage others. And you know, it's hard to think of a more relevant verse in the context of everything that's taken place this past week with the coronavirus stuff to think about how God's people can be salt and light in our communities by living out the golden rule. Amen? How can we practically live out this principle this upcoming week when we encounter situations, peoples, and circumstances where there might be a need for God's people to shine, how we would want them to treat us? Let's be proactive in treating them the same way. Amen? Amen. Well, next week, we're going to come into some very, Jesus kind of gets to the conclusion of, uh, we got two more messages on the Sermon on the Mount, and this is where everything kind of comes down to it, where everything funnels down to Jesus 
drawing his listeners to respond to everything he's just been talking about and very, very pertinent, very powerful words as Jesus gives us two choices to follow in the coming weeks. And so I hope and pray that we'll be able to be benefited and blessed by God's word as we continue to go through the Sermon on the Mount. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as in all things, everything starts with you. And Lord, we do want to see you rightly. For folks here today who might be going through difficulties, wondering if you do care, Lord, remind them again what you have promised, that if we seek your kingdom and your righteousness, you will meet our needs. And Lord, help us also not to see you as a, a magical genie who's here to answer all of our needs. And we grow discouraged because maybe you don't do those things. To cling to the promises that you've actually given in Scripture, not the, not the ones that we have added. Lord, we also want to treat our brothers and sisters in Christ the way you've called us to treat them. Lord, all of us are quick to judgment not holding ourselves to the same standards that we hold others. Lord, we pray that you would help us to not judge in that way. To be quick to take the logs out of our own eyes. And Lord, we also pray that we would be such a holy community that when there are situations and circumstances where there does need to be a conversation with a brother or sister who does have something going on in their life, that we would approach them with knowledge, with gentleness, and with a heart of restoration. And Lord, we also pray that we would be more zealous to share the gospel with all creatures, as you have told us to do in the Great Commission. And Lord, when we encounter those people who are very hardened against it, again, Lord, having that wisdom to judge those situations and not to push them further from you, but to pull back and entrust them to you, pray for them, and Lord, know that you are in control of all things. Lord, we thank you just for how relevant and practical these words are for our lives. We thank you for this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Amen.